about the same. Ephesians 5, let's stand together and read that. I'll try and speak clearly and loudly. Starting at verse 25, let's hear God's word together. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word and, by, and, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed and cared for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall, will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two, shall, two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is God's word. It's absolutely true. Let's pray together. Father God, we pray that you would minister to us. We pray that your grace would be abundant in our lives and that you would teach us. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Lately, I've been watching a TV called House. It's a, an old series. It's no longer making new episodes, but it's basically, it's a, it's a medical detective kind of story. And you get patients that come to see Dr. House who have uh, an issue, uh, something happening to their bodies that n- the average doctor can't figure out, and he's like a, a medical detective, and he can figure out what's wrong with them and to, to try to discover what the issue is. And it, I bring that up because there's a lot of science involved in the story. There's a lot of uh, medical science, as you, as you would think, involved in the story, and there's not much of, of God and how he factors into everything that's going on there. And in the, the spirit of, of science, I came across this um, story that, that talked about what does, how does science help us evaluate and give us understanding about our love relationships. And there was a, a study done where they had uh, couples that had been together for like a year and couples that had been together for at least 20 years, and they hooked them up to an MRI, and they showed them uh, pictures of their spouse, of their loved one, and they would track the brain activity that went on when they saw uh, those pictures. And what they discovered was that the couples that had been married for 20 years had just as much brain activity as those that had uh, been together for like a year. And then they went on to, to go on to note that, 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 that what was different about the couples that had been married for, for 20 years or for a significant amount of time, that their re- relationship, in a, in a sense, was marked by... Uh, security. There was not the obsession over, uh, uh, there wasn't an obsession over what's going on in that relationship or the anxiety that comes with a new relationship, but it was much more secure, much more confident um, in terms of in that bond because they've been together so long. In other words, that the longer they were together, the more security, the more love, the more concern that showed up in those results. And this morning, I think Ephesians 5 helps us have those kind of healthy relationships or to, to move us towards that end where there's a sense of security, there's a sense of rest, there's a sense of, of genuine love that's there in, in our marriage relationships the longer that we're together. And so what I want to do with this, how does the model of Christ and his love for the church 
influence our marriage relationships. That's clearly what you see in this passage. Paul talking about this is Christ and he loves his bride and this is how he loves his bride. Use that as a model for your relationship, your marital relationships. And so three things I want us to highlight. First is Christ's love in marriage. Next is Christ's goal in marriage. And then Christ's model in our marriages. What, what some specific things uh, for us. Now having said that, I know that not everybody in this room is married. Uh, some of us just are in a different stage of life. But the beauty of this passage is it's not exclusively talking about marriage. It's talking about Christ and his love for the church. Who's the church? We are the church. Those that have put our faith and trust in him with belonging to him. So receive this and, and with the sense of this is how God loves me. This is what it means to be belonging uh, to him, to be loved like this. So first thing about Christ's love, it's obvious in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The, the commandment or the instruction is clear, toward, directed at husbands. Husbands, love your wives. And don't just love them, love them as Christ loved the church. Which brings up the question, well, how does Christ love the church? He loves her by sacrificing for her. Uh, other places that, that sacrifice is described as gave himself up. Or handed himself over willingly. Uh, what was interesting about this is I, I looked at this. I never really noticed it before. Christ's love is, is mentioned and on its heels is sacrifice. It, it, there's a variety of places in the New Testament especially where Christ's love is, is mentioned. He loves his church. And right in that context, in that very sentence or in that very verse, it talks about sacrifice. Uh, Ephesians 5, 2, walk in love as Christ loved us and what? Gave himself up for us. Revelation chapter 1, to him who loves us and freed us, and freed us from our sins by his blood. It's pointing towards sacrifice, the cross. And then my favorite, in the life I now live in the flesh, from Galatians 2, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. To talk about Christ's love is to talk about the cross, is to talk about his sacrifice in our place. How does he love us? He loves us so much that he's willing to give up his life for us. His, his actions put on display his love for us. His love for us is not just words, but it's followed up with action. Some of you may recall the movie The, the Princess Bride. It came out in the late 80s, and it's a, it's a fairy tale kind of story kind of movie and the fairy tale is obvious when the, the one of the main characters is, is named Prince Princess Buttercup okay Princess Buttercup lives on this farm and she has this farm boy that she just loves to torment loves to give this hard time to all the time and she'll she'll come up to him she won't even use his real name she'll just say farm boy do this farm boy do that and just enjoys uh, bugging him like this and each time the farm boy will say as you wish and so she'll come up to him and say, farm boy, polish my saddle, my horse's saddle. And he'll say, as you wish. Farm boy, fill these buckets up with water, as you wish. And this goes on and on and on. And soon enough, the farm boy realizes that he has these feelings for her, that he loves her. And every time he says, as you wish, what he's really communicating is, I love you. 
And this is how this love story begins. Of course, Princess Buttercup, she falls in love with who we find out to be Wesley. And they start to have this, this, this true love relationship. And as the story progresses, uh, Wesley is, is on board a ship. And his ship is captured by uh, these pirates, Dread Pirate Roberts. And she uh, presumes that her love, Wesley, is, is died. The ship's been captured by pirates, and then her husband, you know, the love of her life is, is gone forever. And so she agrees to marry this evil prince. And so on the eve of her marriage, she's kidnapped. Okay, it's a fairy tale, okay? She's kidnapped, and uh, she's captured, and she's being hauled away, and there's this mysterious man in black. He's got this black mask on, and he's pursuing Princess Buttercup and her captors, and goes after him, and he defeats all the captors, puts them to death or slays them, what have you, still masked, and he's talking to Princess Buttercup, and uh, she's, you know, just lamenting what's going on, and she brings up, you know, her lost love, Wesley, he's gone forever, and, and uh, this masked guy says, I knew about your Wesley, and he spoke of love, and they go back and forth, and, and she gets angry with him because it, she finds out that this masked individual is really uh, Dread Pirate Roberts, who has supposedly killed the love of her life, and in frustration, he, she pushes him down this, this steep uh, hill, and as he's rolling down, some of you, if you know the scene, he says, as you wish. And that phrase just triggers Princess Buttercup, and she knows this is Wesley. This is the love of my life. As you think about Christ and his love for you, it's not just words, but it's in actions. It's him giving his life for us. The obvious application for us, uh, particularly as husbands, are you showing sacrificial love for your spouse, for your wife? How do you know need to show sacrificial love? Where do you need to say as you wish in that relationship? Where do you, it, 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 you're probably not going to be called upon to literally lay down your life for your wife, but the principle comes true in just the little areas of our lives, the little things that are going on. It, it could be, you know, I'll go shopping with you. Maybe your wife likes to shop. You know, I'll spend some time with you shopping. I don't like shopping. I think it's, it wears me out, but you like it, and I want to be there with you. Uh, maybe there's an interest that she has that you just, you don't care anything about, but you love your wife and you want to connect with her. Where do you need to sacrifice? Uh, maybe it's, a, it's a, your social calendar, if you will. Friday night comes along, and she wants to do something, and you're like, I'm worn out. I don't want to do this. Do you need to show sacrificial love in those moments uh, to put on display how much you love her because that's how Christ loves us as his church? Let's think about the goal of marriage, the second thing there, Christ's goal in marriage. In verse 25, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why did he do that? To make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Think about the purpose behind what Christ is doing in sacrificing his life. Think about it like this. Uh, Christ comes into your life. Why does he come into your life? Why does he, why did he die for you? And you think, well, so I can go to heaven. Uh, so my sins are forgiven. Uh, so my guilt is taken care of. Yes, all those, all those things are true. But it's more than that, that he comes into your life. He died on a cross. He sacrificed himself for you 
to bring about your change so that you would be different. There's this innate brokenness that's about us. We need to be fixed. We need help. We need grace. We need strength. We need him to to provide and and to work uh, distinctively in our lives. And he does all that for our benefit, for our good, to, to build us up in him, to use the language of the passage here, to make us holy, to make us blameless. That's what God is doing. That's his agenda, if you will, in our lives. Uh, what can you put money on? What can you guarantee that God is going to do in your life? It's, he's going to work for your good, your spiritual good primarily, to make him more, to make you and I more like him. And that helps us as we think about marriage. You think about the, the, the goal of marriage, particularly the goal uh, for us as husbands in our marital relationships, that we are serving, we're sacrificing for our spouse's good, for their good, so they know that the beauty and the benefit of all that God is in their lives. Think about a marriage relationship as intense fellowship, if you will, intense fellowship. In other words, it's the, the, the idea of I want, I want to marry you, I want to spend my life with you because I see what God is doing in your life and I want to, be, I want to partner with God in a sense to, to, to fulfill that process, to help God in that work, to be used by him for your building up, for your edification, for your growth, for your benefit, so that, that you grow in, in holiness and grace and confidence and, and beauty and all these things because that's what God is doing in us. I want it to, to be a part of that. And it's like you enter into that marital relationship with that thought in mind. Uh, one individual compares it to like a, a gem tumbler, G-E-M, uh, a gem tumbler. You put these, these stones inside this, this tumbler and you, you roll them together, grind them together, and they come out all beautiful. Well, how do they do that? Because they're, they're, they're grinding, they're chipping one another, they're bumping into one another, they're knocking each other, knocking off all the, the junk that's there, so to speak, and the result is something beautiful. In a sense, that's what marriage is. It's, it's living in this intense fellowship, if you will, where we're knocking off or chipping away at the stuff that should not be there because God is working to make us holy, to make us more like him, to know his grace and, and, and beauty of being associated with him, the, the good of being associated with him. Maybe think about it like this, and maybe a little bit more of a practical picture. Uh, there's a Christian author named Brian Chappell, and he gets pretty vulnerable, I think, in describing uh, the early on, the first couple of years of his marriage, he married a woman uh, named Kathy, and uh, Kathy was smarter than him, and, and ter- certainly academically, she had better grades than her husband. Uh, she was uh, competent. Uh, she was an accomplished musician. Uh, she was good at what she did. She had the, the boast of her peers, so to speak, uh, to, to point out that she was a good musician, competent, uh, beautiful woman. And one day, this early on in the marriage, maybe the first year plus in their marriage relationship, two years. It's a busy day, busy morning, and they realize that the, the washing machine is broken. And he's on the run. He's got to go. He says to his wife, Kathy, hey, can you just call the repairman uh, to get this thing fixed? And he's just kind of off on doing his thing, a simple task. The end of the day comes, or they get back together later on, and he asks her, did you call the repairman? How did it work out? And she just said, no, I didn't. And he's like, why? He just Felt too awkward, too scared to do it. And the husband at this moment said, you know, what is going on in my relationship with my wife that she's 
awkward. She feels uncomfortable, scared to call the repairman to come and fix this. She's accomplished. She's competent. Uh, she has all these qualities. What's going on in my relationship with her? Or how am I not building her up, pointing her towards Christ, the reality, that the, the, the grace and truth, the confidence of having Christ in your life, that she's this kind of person that, that's scared to do something simple like this. Husbands, are you relating to your wife? Are you sacrificing with, with the goal of building them up, of seeing that, that, that all the, the good that God has for them is true of them, that you're, 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 you're relating to them in a sense that they, their worth, their value to God is on display? How are you praying for your spouse? Are you praying for your spouse? What do you pray for your spouse? Do you, do you know the needs of your spouse and, and what she's struggling with and, and where she needs to grow and where, where things need to happen? Is there a goal in your marriage to build up your spouse where her worth, her value in God's eyes, all the promises that, that God has for her are becoming true? Are those things there? The last thing is this Christ model in marriage. And what I mean by this is just what are some basic principles or some takeaways uh, for those who are wives and for those who are husbands? In the first list, one point for uh, the wife. And that is, are you showing respect for your husband? Verse 33 is why I bring it up. Paul says, and the wife must respect her husband. This is probably one of the, the, the biggest things I think that, that, that men need to have is the respect of their spouse. And to avoid, as, 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 as wives, uh, disrespecting our husbands by belittling him in public, by, by, by shaming him, by talking about how incompetent it is. Sometimes it just comes out in jest and uh, you don't, you're not going, it's not real malicious and over the top, but just little things here and there that just highlight how he just doesn't have his act together and I'm so much better than him. And it's a, just a picture of not respecting who he is. You take away that respect and he's trying to lead, he's trying to serve, he's trying to love and sacrifice, you're handicapping him. Uh, you're, you're, you're taking something away, and if that respect is, is void enough, you open himself up to you make it easy for him to pursue other areas or other places where he can find that respect. I'm not saying that's the, the cause of something like that, but just how valuable it is. I've heard somebody will say, you know, it's one thing for me to struggle at work and to have uh, criticism from those I work with or criticism for other people that are around me. It's one thing to fail in, in professionally or to fail in some area or, or to have some kind of weakness exposed or struggle with something. That's one thing. And I can, I can manage that. I can deal with that. But if you take away the respect of my spouse, of my wife, I can't deal with that. That, that takes it to another level, so to speak. So wives, uh, respect your husbands. Husbands, two things. Uh, you get two. Uh, I want to point out uh, the simple need to serve. As husbands, we need to be serving. To follow Christ is to know that, yes, he's the head of the church, 
Uh, he's supreme. He's the one that, that, that we, we, we bow before, we follow, we, we um, believe and trust in. But how does he lead? How does he uh, call us to himself? He calls us to himself by serving. Uh, he comes and, and lays down his life for us. And in the same way, we lead, uh, we serve by being willing to lay down our life for those that we love. In 1990, uh, Robertson McQuilkin was president of Columbia Bible College. I think it's, the name has changed now, but he was president of the Columbia Bible College. And his wife was suffering from Alzheimer's at this time. And he resigned his position as president of the college to be his wife, to serve his wife, to take care of his wife. Uh, they lived close enough to the campus where he could, it was like a mile or so that he could walk to it if he wanted to. When he was around his wife, or when his wife was around him, it was okay. She was okay. It was, she was content. She was uh, restful. She wasn't anxious or doing um, uh, things that were uh, dangerous, so to speak. But when he was away, she got, it got uh, confusing for her, and she would go sometimes to walk to campus to find him and, and be around him, coming multiple times a day, uh, just leaving the house and walking down there. He would, you know, sometimes when he's putting her to bed or taking care of her and he's taking off her shoes and seeing her feet, they're so bloody and, and, and messed up and boogered up from doing all this walking and doing this, and he got to the point where it's like, I can't do this anymore. And he says, I'm going to retire so I can take care of my wife who has Alzheimer's. Well, he was a pretty significant figure at the time. And then Christianity Today did an article about this, him leaving and leaving this this ministry that he had as as president. And he got all this positive feedback, and it really made a difference in in some of the lives that that heard this story and really encouraging for individuals. And McQuilkin said this, and it was in the, the article, responding to why is this such a big deal in a sense, And McQuilkin said this, he says, it was a mystery to me how so many were responding until a distinguished oncologist, somebody that takes care of cancer patients, uh, who lives constantly with dying people, told me, almost all women stand by their men, but few men stand by their women. To, To follow the model of Christ is to serve. Are you standing by your spouse? Are you standing by your wife? Are you serving her? Are you laying down your life for her? One last thing, one principle for, for husbands is this. Uh, as husbands, we need to give direction. Uh, we need to be leading in the relationship. Uh, again, back to the goal. What's the goal of Christ in the church? The goal of Christ with his church is to make her holy, to make her blameless. To be holy is to be owed to God in a special way, used by him, uh, growing in him, finding your life and purpose in him. Jesus talks about if you, if you want to know if you know it abundantly, know it in the context. You, you won't discover that into your relationship with me. And so the, the goal of our leadership in the home is developing that. Is in verse 26, he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Clearly, it's a reference to but baptism in the context of God's word, God's promises, and the power of God's promises, all that to say, men, we lead in the church when we point our spouses and our family of God and to God. It means we, we go to church. We, we, we're, we make it a habit. 
to be in front of God's word. It means we open up scripture at home. Not that you're, you're having this hour-long Bible lesson, you know, seven days a week, but you're simply saying, let's open up the word together. Let's read a couple verses. Let's pray together. You're taking spiritual leadership and responsibility in the home. I can always tell if it's going to work, if it's going to stick uh, in, in a family that comes. If it's the wife leading the charge spiritually, it's not going to work. If it's the husband leading the charge spiritually, it's going to work. The kids are going to come. Uh, the kids are going to be impacted. Uh, the wife is going to come. It, it does make the difference. It's too easy to defer. It's too easy to say, that's okay, she's doing it. It's not that big a deal. Uh, it is a big deal. As husbands, we love our spouses as Christ loved the church, and the goal of Christ was to make us more like himself, to grow us in him. And so for us as, as husbands to be leading and saying, let's, let's make church, let's make God's word really a part of our lives. Let's make the gospel a part of our lives. Let me close with one thought, and then we'll, we'll pray. It's, it's very brief. In verse 32, uh, Paul says this. It's kind of crazy, I think. Uh, the mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. He's talking about this, this model of marriage between a husband and a wife, but he's really getting at is that the love between, the, between Christ and the church. I don't want to get into all the nuts and bolts of this and, and unpack it completely, but to say there's motivational help for us in this passage here. Think about it like this. If you model your marriage after Christ and his relationship with the church, you are preaching the gospel to a watching world. In other words, as, as husbands are sacrificing, they're leading and they're giving as wives are respecting and, and responding and, and living together, you are a, you're, you're putting on display the gospel. You're, you're showing forth the sacrificial love and growth and worth. But the key to that, because we get so easily overwhelmed, again, the, the opening story of being frustrated with a spouse who's forgetting about you uh, in light of all the appointments and the daily schedules, that all that stuff easily overwhelms us if we forget why we do it, if we forget the love of Christ. In other words, you're not going to be able to give, you're not going to be able to sacrifice, you're not going to be able to follow and participate in that marriage unless you're continually fueled, if you will, finding energy from God's love for you. That's why I said early on, yes, this is about marriage, but in essence, it's about God and his love for his people. And when that love becomes your reality, when it becomes your identity, when it begins to, to shape you and control you and move you, the eyes are off yourself and you have the freedom and energy to put it on other people. Let's pray and ask that God would work towards that end. Father God, uh, these uh, relationships, marriage is difficult. It is a hard. We are confronted by our selfishness. We're confronted by our own desires. And we see ourselves and we're exposed. And we live with people that really know us. So we need your grace and we need your sufficiency all the more. We're thankful for Christ, thankful how he comes and rescues us. He redeems us. He lays down his life for us so that we can know you and be changed by you and grow and find life and life abundant in you and your promises and your truth. Would you use our marriages towards that end 
to speak forth your love and your power. We ask all in Christ's name. Amen.